Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kelly. I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. this week on the podcast the proclaimers charlie and craig reed absolute legends big thank you to my main man gary john kane for having a helping hand in sorting this interview out gary john as you well know if you're listening to this podcast because he's been on it about a million times now um he plays bass with the proclaimers and he had a helping hand put in the good word uh, about the podcast and managed to sort this thing out. So big thank you to him. We mentioned him in the interview. We mentioned a bunch of different things. We talked Family Guy, actually. Uh, we talked the Up and Coming Tour. We talked the new album. We talked a bunch of different things. Very, very good fun and really, really good guys. I've met them actually once before at Teen the Park a few years back. Uh, spoke to them briefly, but this is the first time I've had a proper chance to sit down and chat everything in the world of the Proclaimers. Um, big thank you for the last few weeks, you guys. The support's been magnificent for this podcast. Last week's Kenny Jones episode was fantastic stories about the small faces, the faces and the who. That went down well. The week prior to that, we had Vic Firth on. Can you believe that? Uh, great reaction to that. And of course, the week before that, Katie Tunstall, in which a cartoon followed up in that. You can check that out on YouTube. Of course, scottcowie.com is where you pick up this podcast. We're trying to get you guys to go over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, review, and all that jazz. You can get this free on your iPhone, iPod, iBall, whatever it may be, each and every week, each and every Thursday, as a matter of fact. Now, interestingly enough, I mentioned YouTube there. Uh, Carol Kay, the vodcast with Carol Kay, the last in the series that my friend Daniel Callahan and I filmed, that's, of course, now available. Uh, great interview, and a lot of people have been messaging me about that. Uh, keep your messages coming in. Keep your emails coming in. music at gmail.com, okay? Now, <laughs> we've been answering a lot of questions regarding your love advice in the last few weeks, my friend. Uh, the greatest violin player in the world, in my opinion, Nora Germain. Uh, we're going to cut right now and we're going to answer some of your love advice questions. Here we go. Do you, do you, do you need love advice? Do you have a broken heart or pubic lies? Oh, oh, love advice. Okay, it's Nora Germain. She is back again and we're going to give everyone love advice. Nora moved into her new house recently and we're going to give love advice to everyone. So here's love advice. Thank you, Scott. That was just gorgeous. I just thought of that off the top of my head. Clearly. What do you mean clearly? It's stuff like that. You just constantly try and put me down. I try and big the thing up. I try and make this podcast better on a week-to-week basis. And you just come out with one-liners that just try and chip away at my confidence. And I think you know that you're doing it. Probably. 
Isn't it my job to chip away at your confidence with one-liners? No, your job is to help people out. And I'm the co—I'm the, I'm the host of this, you're the co-host. And even though I'm the host, even though my name's on the podcast, even though I'm getting a lot of recognition right now for putting together a brilliant podcast, I still have confidence issues when you constantly try and bring me down. So it's about time you're a little bit more sensitive to that. No promises, but I'll try. I don't think you're taking this seriously. But anyway, let's move on to love <laughs> advice. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Tons of emails. Keep them coming in, ladies and gentlemen. Music at gmail.com. We will try and answer as many as we possibly can on this episode. Right, okay. We ready, Nora? We ready? We ready? I'm ready. Hold on. Can you pause it? Oh, for... F- no, I'm not going to pause it. We're going to continue. Hold on. Pause it. We're not pausing. Ladies and gentlemen, we're continuing. Nora's just away. She told me she was ready. Right, okay, we're ready, we're ready. Dear Scott, Nora, this is from Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Love the podcast, um, especially the episode with Kyle Gas. Made me laugh so much, my friends and I always listen in. Thanks very much, Lindsay. Anyway, okay, here we go. I have been dating my boyfriend, Stuart, for three years now. Great. We have an apartment together in San Francisco. That's lovely. Recently, he has been acting strange. We just seem so distant. Yeah. He's a gorgeous guy and he's started doing a lot of modelling work over the past year. His friend Kelvin got him into modelling for a gay magazine, but that means he's in West Hollywood staying at Kelvin's shooting for the mag a lot of the time. Him and Kelvin also started a Wham tribute act last year and he has dedicated so much time to that. They rehearse for hours on end and I'm not allowed to go near the room. He and Kelvin also bought a banana boat and spend so much time keeping fit, massaging each other, and he doesn't have time for me anymore in my eyes. Our sex life has been practically non-existent over the past year. I just wonder if you guys had any advice. I'm really sorry, Lindsay, but I think that your boyfriend is gay. Um, but don't take it personally because, um, you know, uh, in his straight life, he was with you. So, you know, if he were straight, he would be with you, but sorry to say, you know, the banana boat is just the cherry on top. And so you're going to have to find what 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 I call a straight man. What made you kind of jump to that conclusion? It was gay. Obviously you women are very intuitive for that kind of thing. What are the kind of telltale signs of what, I mean, this is kind of, Am I, this is kind of out of the blue. What, what made you think he was, this guy, um, the, the boyfriend is gay? Well, you know, just because he's in a gay magazine doesn't mean anything. But yeah. the fact that you said things have been changing over the last year or so makes me think that maybe this is sort of more of a serious life change. Okay, so spending a lot of time with another man and uh, not really spending very much time with you and... You know, it doesn't even sound like he's trying to hide it. So those are some signs, you know. But it's okay, Lindsay. You'll be fine. Go have a margarita. You'll be okay. Would you Would you um, hang about yeah. with Lindsay when she's in uh, when you're in San Francisco? Yeah, of course I would. Great. Uh, okay. Um, so, sorry, Lindsay. Your 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 boyfriend. You're gonna be all right. It's gonna be fine. Apparently, Nora thinks he's gay. I don't know. Right, we're moving on. Now, Nora, I don't know if you can remember, but somebody's emailed in again, right? They, uh, do, do you remember Colin, Colin's um, girlfriend um, or, or wife 
uh, was studying music full time. She was doing a master's and she was a classical. Uh, oh, and she was driving him crazy. Right. Okay. He's emailed back. Okay. Oh, so, great. So okay. The, so the podcast went out. Right. Okay. I'm just going to read it. Colin, in brackets, the colonator, right? Right. Dear Nora and Scott, thank you for answering my question on the Katie Tunstall podcast regarding my girlfriend's love for classical music and her course. And he's put in brackets, studying masters in classical piano, just so we remember it, right? Um, and how I feel this whole episode is driving us apart. I have taken on Nora's advice and tried listening to classical music. To be honest, I hate it even more than I did beforehand. What a pile of horse shit. How on earth can people find this entertaining? If there were two doors and one opened up to a concert with the London Symphony Orchestra and the other opened up to a real-life version of the film Saw with me being the victim, I would choose the Saw scenario any day of the week. Am I listening to the wrong stuff? Because quite frankly, anyone who makes love along to Mozart should be shot. (laughs) Colin, um... The London Symphony Orchestra is about as good as it gets, and so is Mozart. So if you're listening to that and you'd really rather have your limbs sawed off by a psychopath, <laughs> I think, I think um, I'm going to just say <laughs> there's no hope for you um, for classical music, and there's no hope for you with your girlfriend. And that's okay, you know, but you have to um, just let it go and you have to let her, you know, live out her dream uh, without you because clearly you're just going to uh, ruin it. So, you know, go off, go to your rock concerts, you know, drink your beer, do whatever you want to do, have a great time and, um, you know, uh, have fun living the life that you want to live far, far away from, from the orchestra. Um, you know classical music way better than I do. Um, what what other um, what would you recommend to listen to if somebody says, "Hey Nora, I've listened to the London Symphony Orchestra, I've listened to Mozart, I've listened to Beethoven. What classical music should I listen to?" Hit me. Gosh, I mean, I love all that stuff, but um, a lot of people like Debussy, a lot of people like Bach, um, especially Glenn Gold, who's a fantastic. Uh, pianist. He was, I guess, known as the best uh, pianist to perform Bach on the piano. Um, uh, there's some great violinists around. Uh, I'm a big fan of Nicola Benedetti and uh, Charlie Sam. They're young and, and playing all over the place and really great. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you just gotta, you know, uh, look around, but it's certainly happening. I'm sorry to say I don't think any of this will be uh, of any interest whatsoever to our friend Colin. Wow. That is okay. You know, everybody has their own taste. And Colin, I would just like to tell you, thank you for trying. Um, Thank you for giving it a listen. Uh, At least you you experienced it uh, enough to know that you don't like it. And that's great. That's enough. Yeah, that's very diplomatic. Very, very nice. Okay, we're moving on to Kenny from London. Okay, here we go. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Right. Timing's never been your strong point, right? Here we go. Oh, this is a good one. Listen to this. Right. Ready? This is the best first line ever. Hi, Hi, Scott and Nora. Last night, me and my beautiful wife, Susan, got married. That's amazing! 
Here we go. Oh, violin's coming out. Here we go. Here we go. I'm so happy for you guys. That's awesome. Right, okay. Um, right, okay. Kenny continues. I am emailing you from my hotel room in Las Vegas. I think I've made a big mistake. Oh. I, I don't really Married love... Married for one day and already writing into the podcast. <laughs> I don't really love her. I think I've actually been pressured into it by my family and hers. Things have happened just so fast. <laughs> This is all just too much. In the early hours of this morning, Susan fell asleep. I went to the local casino and put $5,000 of her money on red and lost. That money was put aside to pay most of the outstanding wedding bills. What should I do? Not a very that's some Beethoven for you. <laughs> Fucking um, hell. Very insensitive. Sorry, Nora, continue. Okay. This is really um, fucked up, but it's okay. <laughs> we're... <laughs> but we're going to fix it. Scott and I are going to fix it, so don't worry. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Um, this is just sort of standard. Okay, you got us. You got to get a divorce. You got to tell her you're really sorry for putting on $5,000 and losing it. You've got to find a way to give her something that's worth $5,000 or give her $5,000 or do something with the money, but you can't just say, "Well, whoops." So figure that out between her. You got to not be you got to not be married to her. Apologize to the family. Um, and just explain that a lifetime of regret in marriage is just so not worth both of you. Uh, it's better uh, to split up now rather than to have a lifetime together that is not worth it. You should just nip it right in the butt. You know, just um, you made a big fat mistake. Uh, sorry for the wedding song there. I thought it was going in another direction. Um, uh, I think if you end it now, there's still hope. Yep. 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 That's what I think. <clears throat> wow. That that, that kind of ends on a little happy note there. So just to conclude, Kenny from London, get a divorce. Um, Colin, your, your relationship's over. And Lindsay, your boyfriend's gay. All in a day's work, ladies and gentlemen. Scott and Nora on the podcast. If we can help you out at all, you know what to do. Email in skowiemusic at gmail.com and we will solve all your problems or help you find out if your boyfriend's gay or not. Nora, what are you going to give her this weekend to end a little segment on the violin? What have you got for us? Ah, well, let's see here. Um... Can I, throw, uh, what, what? Can, I, can I throw something at you? Yeah, please, yeah. Um, um, Do you have anything to throw? Yep, yep, yep. Um, let's have um, something in the style of Django Reinhardt. Oh, he's your favourite. I love him. Do you know who else loves Django Reinhardt? Not to name drop, Katie Tunstall. Does she? Yes. She, you obviously didn't listen to the podcast that we were both on with her. Uh, well, that's we fantastic. Great, isn't it? Right, plays a bit of Django Reinhardt with a slightly blues edge. Oh, 
Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, this this is um, swing forty two. Here we go. Do the gun noise. Piao. Yeah, piao. Yeah. That sounds like um, like uh, piao, like the sound a dog makes. You've ruined it. You've ruined it. It was sounding so cool, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Norris, your main, the greatest violin player on God's green earth. Um, yeah. Thanks very much. Love advice. Right. Let's get to the interview and all that jazz. Boom. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast, backstage at the Perth Concert Hall, the Proclaimers. How's it going, lads? Very good. well, thank you. Yeah, yes. Well. Um, good news the last couple of weeks, obviously, tea in the park, it's now going ahead. Was yeah. there ever any real doubt, do we think? I, I don't know. I, 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 the kind of impression I was getting was that there was a real doubt. Um, who knows? Who knows? I, I bumped into someone, someone I know uh, vaguely, and she said, oh, I think it was... The speculation was it was some sort of dispute between family members. That was the root of it. But I don't know. I wouldn't quote her and I wouldn't quote anybody else a bit. But I did, I did get the impression some people didn't want to go ahead, but it looks like it's happening now. Very, very exciting. How many times will this be then for Tina Park for you guys? Uh, six, maybe. maybe five or six. Yeah, I think maybe six. Maybe six, five or six, I think. Yeah. I caught you guys a couple of times there. It's an amazing, amazing festival, but a great reaction for you guys. So how is exciting is it to play it this year? It's a great thing to do. I mean, any festival is good, but this is particularly on your own home turf. I think it really makes a big difference when you, you can feel it's your own people, you know. it's It does it does carry a special kudos, you know. Absolutely. Now, the new album is sitting right here in front of us. Let's hear it for the dogs. Interesting story behind this title. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a line from one of the songs on the record, and the song is called What School? And I wrote it because somebody from the West of Scotland used the phrase, what school do you go to? It, it was ironically, they were talking about living in England, and they said, there's none of that, what school do you go to stuff? So I, I just stuck in my head, and I thought uh, that'd be a good title. So I built it around the title. Usually I start with a tune, but I built the whole thing around the title. Uh, and it's basically contrasting well, the way that dogs sniff each other out with the way that people kind of verbally sniff each other out, you know, that's what it is. And uh, the album's recorded at Rockfields. Yeah. Now, you guys had recorded there before. Yeah, then. This is the third album we've done there. It was, the last two were uh, with Steve Evans. Oh, and the first first of those was like 2006, 2007, whenever we put that one out. And then we had a, another record with Steve Evans, the record before this, but we did that at Bath. But it was too good an opportunity when we talked about doing this with Dave Erringer. It was too good an opportunity to miss to go back there because Dave, Dave loves the studio even more than we do, you know. He's what a lot of people are. Yeah. 
Uh, really magical studio, great history. So um, obviously amazing to, to record it there. The man who played bass on this album, Gary John Kane. Mm -hmm. How have you guys managed to put up with being in a band with uh, Gary John well, for the last few years? He's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gary John's got a very, um, he's got an opinion on everything, which is the same as us, we do as well. Oh, we like having a long, I think he's a very steady bass player and he's, he's great to have him. He's a great bass player and, and that's it. Well, it's nice to have someone with strong opinions, yeah. possibly even stronger than our own, yes. you know, a nice counterbalance. <laughs> you at this stage that I've reached where it's just kind of, his moans become like white noise. <laughs> yeah. Is that, yeah, is that I, the stage? That's a good know, stage know, to be at, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a serious note, brilliant bass player. He's on this all the time, yeah. so um, it's good to give him a shout out. Um, so I've, I've been really liking the album and it was, it's good that, um, you can tell, I know he was excited that we go down to Rockfield yeah. and everything, so you can just tell, of, of course, like I said, great history with that studio. Um, obviously, years and years of recording now, something that's very familiar about you guys is singing with a Scottish accent. Uh, but see, early doors, was there ever anybody within the business from record company trying to get you away from using yeah, the accent? Yeah, we went, you know, Charlie and I used to go, we went down maybe two or three times to London to meet uh, record companies and publishers. I think when we went down there three times and we get the, kind of get the night bus down and then do it and then night bus back up. And a couple of people did mention, they said, you know, they like the songs, um, but they thought that the Scottish accent was going to put people off. Uh, and uh, if we change the accent, maybe it would be more palatable. But we were never going to do that. And we were writing about our own experiences in, a, in our own country at our own time. So um, the, the accent was non-negotiable. But there, there was those two or three suggested it. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really good then that you stuck with your guns yeah, in that one. Yeah. I think in a way, it, 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 it probably does limit the appeal in some ways, but it makes you more distinct as well. So that, and in that respect, I think it's more of a strength. Amazing, absolutely. And then um, one thing I really want to ask you about, uh, someone turns around one day and says, Sunshine and Lease, we want to make it in a musical. What was your instant reaction? We thought it would never happen. They right. said it, we, we thought they'll get, they'll get, they'll start off, they'll get 20 minutes and they'll think this isn't working. And then they did, they got the whole thing up and running. Stephen Greenhorn wrote it and Dundee Rep put it on uh, the first time. And then they started booking a week in Dundee, week in Aberdeen, week in Glasgow, week in Edinburgh. And we thought nobody's going to turn up and they were kind of virtually sold out. And then he did it again a couple of years later and a third run of it a couple of years after that. Uh, and it kind of got bigger production every time. And then by the third time we were saying, well, we're going to make it in a film. Uh, and they had to cut it. I think the original stage show was about two hours 20. So they had to cut it down to about an hour 40. And they got Dexter Fletcher to direct it and Jane Horrocks and Peter Mullen in it. And I think they did a fantastic job and we're really pleased with it, you know. But we, we apprehensive when you're just hearing that you know this thing's in yeah. production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. But certainly by the time we did, was it the third run of it in the theatres, it felt, aye, this is going so well that when they said film, we thought it'll happen. But you still don't know if it's going to work. You still don't know if it's going to capture what the stage musical had, but I think it did. I think it was more concise for terms of re reasons of putting a film on. It was a shorter thing, but um, I think it caught the feeling of it great. It's amazing to think that the brand, the Proclaimers, has just branched out so much. You must be, must be so proud that it's translated so well that we said mentioned earlier the accent and everything, but it's... Yeah, I think I think we're just surprised that we're still here, really honestly. I think we, when we started out, we didn't have any ambition beyond getting off the door and making a living playing our songs. That was it. We never thought about having hits because we didn't think it would ever happen. Um, we weren't, weren't looking at that. 
Um, so when we got, finally got to make a record, that was fantastic, the acoustic record. And then they said, well, if you re-record Let of America with, with a band, then you could you could get a hit. And we, we did it and it, it worked. And then it kind of exploded from there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, we didn't ever have any kind of real plan uh, other than getting off the dole. And um, it's, as I say, I think we're just really surprised that we're still, we're still, still going, you know? A lot of people don't uh, forget to mention generally to you guys about Letter from America being the film The Commitments. I don't yeah. know if you, you remember mm, seeing it. It's mm, just a, a big part of that film as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how proud were you to, to, to even the song to feature? Yeah, I mean, again, they've been, they, tell, they told us that we're going to use it and they said, oh, you know, the great director and it's going to great, uh, a great script and stuff. But it wasn't until you saw it and I, I, thought, I, I thought it worked great in the film, you know, the guy sort of drunk at the wedding and saying along with it, I thought it was brilliant, you know. He does a really good version, as Aye, drunk right, as he is, in inverted commas. Andrew Strong, that's right, brilliant, yeah, brilliant yeah. singer. Um, so you mentioned they're talking about writing songs early doors. From what I understand, your songwriting process, one of you takes the song to the others, others as how yeah, it all work? We, we kind of just g generally will write a song. Um, one of us will do it, and then it'll be kind of pretty much there, hundred percent or ninety percent anyway. And we just we start rehearsing it, and we make any changes that we have to make, uh, and we just sing it over and over again, just with the, the acoustic guitar or with the piano, just the two voices, and that's how we do the demos. So um, it's just just keep repetition, you know, keep keep going, uh, find out what's working, what not needs to be changed, and then that's that's how we do it. You know? Excellent. Um, must ask you, Jerry Rafferty. What was it like working with him? And if if anything at all, what do you think you learned from Jerry? Um, I think it was it was great working with him. It, it was really it was really good with us, and I think he wasn't the easiest man to work with for everybody. But it, we we when we our experiences were very good. Uh, I think you learn from somebody like Rafferty, you learn that you've got, even if you're having a bit of success, the important thing is to keep doing what you're doing, is to keep writing songs, keep trying to get better as a performer, as a, as a writer. Uh, I think somebody like Rafferty was a re genuine, real musician and a real craftsman, uh, and he was in music for the right reasons. Uh, and I think that you should aspire to be like, pe like pe people like Jerry Rafferty, I think. Oh, that's interesting. Um, going from that point, is there any other advice you would give to people just generally within music? Because everybody says it's it's easy to make it to a point, yeah. but staying there for a sustained yeah. period of time is, is infinitely harder. Yeah. What other advice on top of what you just said would you give out? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know why some acts survive and some don't. I mean, I think we've had a couple of periods where, long periods where we didn't put any records out and we didn't tour. So again, I think we're lucky, but we're still doing it. But I think just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, keep do, keep keep doing it for right reasons. Keep trying to get new material, even if you're struggling with the writing. Keep trying to write new songs. Keep uh, performing live, um, and I think that's the only advice I would ha I would give. And I think certainly for us in the last ten or fifteen years, the big we've had an ex an expanding audience in in Britain uh, mm. quite quite a bit, and mostly that has been down to playing live, especially festivals. It's interesting that the most rewarding thing, I think, for both of us has been the last 15 years. And we've not sold that many records in that time, but we've played to a lot more people than they ever did. The publishing keeps us going because we have those few records that, that still do okay, obviously, with 500 Miles being the number one. But it's a lot more fulfilling now because we feel like we're making regular records. We do gigs a lot and we feel like we've made progress mm -hmm. 
And for us, that was the main thing. It wasn't about how many records you sold. That didn't really matter. Nor actually how many people you played to, but just a feeling that you were making progress and you could continue to do it professionally mm -hmm. at any level, really, you know. Right. When you guys are writing, is there been a period or at all when you finish a track and do you look at each other and go, yeah, that's going to be a hit. That one's really going to translate. Does that kind of thing happen um, or do you, you surprise the reaction? I think when we did, we left America, that what you could see even before they were recording it with that song mm -hmm. we knew that was a really good song uh 500 miles when we recorded it uh it we went well that's definitely the first single and we thought well, if it gets a bit of play it'll it'll be a hit and it was but uh, why it's kept around for 25 years is is beyond me i don't, I don't, I don't understand that yeah you get a bit mostly i think you kind of go uh that's a really good one rather than yeah. saying that's going to be a hit because i think you can see definitely it's, it's your own maybe it's just your own opinion you say that is a really good song you can't say oh it's definitely gonna be a hit you know it's, it's just plenty of really good songs are never hits you know and plenty plenty of stuff that is a hit is aren't particularly great songs mm -hmm. so um yeah i think that the, the thing we'd say is when when we've got it and certainly when we're recording something and you go yeah that that's worked you know that's, that's really worked when you mentioned being around for 25 years and things just keeping you relevant, correct me if I'm wrong, appearances and family guy, yeah. things like that. I just think that's... A, it, it helps. I mean, it helps It helps get you to a new audience. You know, it, it does. I mean, adverts, TV shows, films, especially films, uh, have kind of really kept us going, you know? Um, and I think the one thing that we are, whatever you think is, we are distinctive, whether you don't like us or, or like us. And I think that kind of helps with things like TV and and film and stuff like that. I think that I think they're always looking for something, folk recognise it or this or remember them that kind of thing. You know? It's good. And touching on touching the Family Guy thing again. Did you get a call that you know that was going to happen? Yeah, it was about we're on tour. America, we're yeah. on tour, and it was about, I think we're in Chicago or something, and we were going to be in Los Angeles in about two weeks, and they said. Do you want to do it and uh, it was that was just family guy wasn't i, I don't think he was even being shown in britain then but or it had just started it wasn't a big hit but it was starting to really be a big one in america and i'd seen it a few times in america i thought it was really good so we went in after we'd done a, a gig in la and went in the next day and just kind of could have did a, did a live version of it or and met, met seth, seth mcfarland and met the folk who write it and everything you wow. know so uh, it was it was it was great, you know. Really, really oh, I didn't know. I thought they just dubbed it over the original, so you yeah, recorded uh, yeah, for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really really cool. Yeah. I was mildly impressed by Peter Griffin's voice on that. I don't know. <laughs> very good, <laughs> very it's good, very good. Yeah, that that Seth MacFarlane's just ridiculously talented, you know. Right. So you get a chance to hang out with him a little bit. Well, just to say, say hi and stuff, and then he took us through, and particularly Buddy, uh, the guy that does guitar for us, he was right into the animation and he showed us how they did it and stuff and he made oh. some of the script writers. It was, yeah, it was a proper coming and say hi to everybody, you know, it's yeah. very kind of. We tried to count up earlier between a couple of us how many people have covered 500 miles. It, off the top of your head, not a number, but can you list some of the people that have, have done it over the years? Kind of uh, Nicki Minaj did it apparently a wee while back. Uh, a lot of people have done it. A lot of people have done that song. I think, especially like, like you get a lot of acts, especially American acts, when they come and they do like Tina Park or yes. they do a Scottish gig, they do that and they do 500 miles. It happens all the time, you know. Uh, I, I don't know how many have done it, um, but uh, we're just grateful. We're very grateful. We're very grateful when they do. Keep it coming. <laughs> One final thing. I think that um, a lot of people would see, like, you know, people looking at twins, both wearing specs, wearing acoustic guitar, as really kind of smart marketing. 
my take on it is it's, it's, it wasn't even thought behind that. You are who you are. Yeah. Is that the case? Yeah, it was. I mean, we, when we when we started it, we'd been in bands before, but when we started as the Proclaimers, that was in '83, and we were unemployed, and we, we were going to be unemployed for another three, three or four years, you know. Uh, so that was we had the clothes that we stood up in, we had sticks, and we had to get an acoustic guitar. We felt right at home. You know, we was, that was the house martins because they, they looked yeah. a wee bit like us, but they already had a record deal. But we felt right at home doing that house martins tour back in '86 because I thought oh, they look like us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. One final thing. Big tour ahead. Look after Gary John. Oh, we will do. We will do. I know it's a He'll tough. He'll be okay. He's in good hands. <laughs> Probably not the hands he'd wish to be in, but he's in good hands. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Thanks, All guys. Right. Right. There you have it. Fantastic interview there with the Proclaimers. Huge thank you uh, to Charlie and Craig Reed for being so kind to join me in their hectic schedule uh, to talk everything Proclaimers. Now go over to www.proclaimers.co.uk and get tons of information there regarding the up-and-coming tour or the ongoing tour, I should say. Um, bunch of different festivals coming up. I did plan on reading out all these dates, but there are far too many, to be quite frank. The guys are everywhere. Super exciting and surely given the amount of dates that they're doing, they will be coming to a town or city near you. Proclaimers.co.uk We mentioned earlier the new album. It's currently out on iTunes, Amazon. You can get it everywhere. Let's hear it for the dogs is the title of the album. It sounds fantastic. And once again, I'm plugging them shamelessly. My friend... The man, the myth, Carrie John Kane plays bass on that album. Thanks to Proclaimers. Thanks to Nora Germain. Thanks to all of you guys for tuning in each and every week in this podcast. It's a super exciting episode next week. Stay tuned. And, of course, the central place that keeps all of your podcast vodcast needs together with the inclusion of cartoons. We're doing cartoons these days. Who would have thought? ScottCowie.com. We will see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>